0: Do you think that there would be less hauntings and poltergeist if people were thankful to them? Don't you think they just want a little bit of attention?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what they're seeking, right? Is they're seeking validation. They just want to be heard. They want to, uh, yeah. I think if, if people were thankful for the dead people underneath them, yeah, the world would be a better place. <laughs>
0: So, like, if they celebrated Dia de los Muertos in uh, Cuevas or Cueva Gardens, whatever the community is called, uh, Cuesta Verde. Oh, right. Uh, But, yeah, if they celebrated Day of the Dead and had an ofrenda, maybe the dead people wouldn't be so upset.
1: I was going to say. Just saying
0: Steven Spielberg.
1: I I thought you were gonna say maybe that would uh, be the start of a good rom
0: com. Oh, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of Dave the Dead in Questa Verde. But yeah, a kind of um, oh gosh, what's that? Uh, what's that Pixar movie that was so cute with oh. the recuerda me? Ah, uh, it'll it will come to me eventually. Uh, But yeah, I didn't think of that angle for my rom com. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get on with the show. is necromancer
1: necromancer
0: i'm shira and i like romantic comedies as always i'm joined by brett what do you like
1: i like spooky horror movies
0: what do we do here each week i forget
1: Well, each week we pick a movie. You pick the rom-com, I pick the horror. We watch and review those movies. We have a great time. And then we remix the movies. We pitch the rom-com as a horror and the horror as a rom-com.
0: That's right. And this week we are continuing the theme of thankfulness because this is the season to be thankful for your friends, your family, your health, those great black Friday deals that probably happened a while ago. And now maybe when you're listening to this, you're getting that new TV delivered and installed.
1: Yeah. Just think of how, just think of the, how like the high definition static that TV could produce.
0: Oh, yeah. No, there's definitely a lot of ghosts inside that yeah. TV. Yeah, this crystal movie definitely Crystal clear is static. <laughs> crystal clear static. This movie is definitely a relic of old TV technology because I kept writing down, and how are we going to explain this one to the kids?
1: Yeah, it's crazy because even... I saw this movie when I was pretty young but even then i don't think i realized that they would sign off tv like every night
0: with the national anthem with the national yeah.
1: anthem go into static i don't like even as that a kid that blows me
0: away the idea that there was a time when there was just no tv after a certain hour you're yeah. kidding
1: like Like growing up, some of the channels had TV 24 hours, but some of them would just like have black for, for, you know, overnights, but um,
0: broadcast over, go, go to sleep.
1: But the whole static thing and the, the national anthem, it's yeah, I even I needed that explained to me as a kid. So I could totally see people being very confused by that now.
0: Right. But it's it's a great beginning to a movie to just have those uh have those strings come in, those uh that national anthem marching band. Uh and then for everybody who was watching that movie <clears throat> at the time, it must have been just immediately recognizable, like, oh, it's late at night, right. TV's over.
1: Yeah. Um, I think also for me, one of the things that I gravitated to for this movie is like, I didn't grow up in a suburb like this, but I grew up in a suburb. And so, you know, like I had a family that was kind of like this. I had young parents. I had one brother. I had a dog. So like this movie and we lived in a house, you know what I mean? And so I had a tree that I climbed in the backyard, like all that kind of stuff. So this movie was very relatable for me. But then years later, Sonya had never seen the movie. I'm like, you've never seen the movie. And then for the first 10 minutes we were watching the movie, she was like, oh, this? Oh, what's this? What's this? And I realized like, oh, right. We didn't grow up with the same. (laughs) Like, it's weird. I don't know if this movie. I feel like this movie is a masterpiece. But um, sometimes I say that about older movies and people just really give me a look like, What?
0: I have a lot of memories of watching. I, I think that Poltergeist is very much a suburban movie, and if you are a suburban kid, you are drawn to this movie because I think the first time I watched this was at home, on TV with my family. It's a fan. It's like a family friendly,
1: yeah,
0: horror movie, and I think that's exactly how it's meant to be enjoyed.
1: Yeah, it's meant to be enjoyed in the safety and comfort of your own family where you know nothing really bad is going to happen. But also... Or is it? Whoa. But also, like, yeah, there are scary things out there. And sometimes they can't be explained. And that's, you know, that's just part of how it goes. Um,
0: Yeah, this movie does a really good job of rendering the ordinary scary. Like, that doll, that tree, the kitchen... Where's that sound coming from? What's this? What's that? But you it know. also does
1: a good job of making the scary like inter like not interesting, but it it makes the scary awe-inspiring. You know what I mean? Like there's a magic that happens to the supernatural before that's followed up by the scariness. There's not a lot scary that happens. Until like later, a, a That's lot of true. the flirting, a lot of the flirting w- of the poltergeist with the family is very f- kind of fun and friendly. And then something bad will happen, and then it becomes fun and friendly again, or it becomes like weird and ethereal, like when they start coming down the stairs, and then it becomes scary again. So it.
0: Right. There's a lot of curiosity and childlike wonder missed yeah. it, mixed in with the scares. So tell me a little bit more about why you chose this movie for the one you're thankful for. Because it's a um, masterpiece?
1: Yes, I think so. When's the last time you watched this movie? Because I know you had seen it before.
0: So I watched it as a kid and then I watched it a few years ago with Doug because I, you know, similar to you, I had the reaction, oh, you've never seen Poltergeist? Poltergeist is great. Let's watch it. And uh, Doug was kind of (laughs) bored with Poltergeist. And there are a lot of quiet, talky moments in this movie. So if you're somebody who talking, dialogue, um scene setting moments don't work for like i don't think that he liked the walking dead or you know you know the frank darabont style of of just a lot of talking doesn't always work for some viewers and so it it wasn't as magical for him but i think you know because i saw this movie as a kid I still had a lot of respect for it or awe for it. I think Steven Spielberg movies like Jurassic park, like poltergeist and ET, they really know how kids work. I think how kids minds work when they see something. And so they, they really reach towards that middle zone where it can be enjoyed by all ages.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, Sonia, kind of the same thing. She had never seen it. I was like, you've never seen it. It's such a thrill ride, roller coaster, fun movie. Like you get to enjoy being scared in Poltergeist. Um, and so uh, I, we sat down to watch it. We've tried four times to watch it. And she's oh, falling no. asleep every single time. But she's kind of falling asleep at different points. And also, I mean, we have weird overnight schedules and all that stuff. So I don't blame her. But um it does kind of stink but i watched this movie semi regularly at least annually and for a while and not just at or not just at halloween time like this is not a halloween movie to me even though it's scary and i probably saw it around halloween this is a good movie like all of the camera shots the camera angles the cuts the writing the dialogue the the little character bits that they put in there the the little ribbons and callback like everything about this movie is just running on all cylinders you said it's quiet but to me that quiet is like that roaring purr of an engine where like a gearhead to me it's just like it's just idling but to a gearhead they'd be like no 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 you can tell this thing is fast
0: you know where I, I think a big masterpiece of this movie, I, it's the thing that I always end up paying attention to, but the scoring for the movie is incredible.
1: Yes, uh, the, yeah, very classical. Film,
0: yeah, the film composer for this movie did an amazing job. I I wrote it down. It was uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. Composer, and he's done he's done a lot of film scores, but yeah, he's done yeah, a yeah bunch. the the yeah. themes he did for this movie just work so well. And I think that there is an art to suspenseful film scoring, especially if you want to give it that big orchestral cinematic feel. And it just he just said such a great job.
1: Yeah, and it also works with the camera and works like, again, great use of reaction shots. I think the other thing I'm thankful for for this movie is it's really, to me, the the conversation about who directed this movie, to me it's such a point (laughs) it's such a so i saw the name
0: toby hooper and i was like oh texas chainsaw massacre i thought this was a steven spielberg movie come to find out it's a whole dilemma so
1: yeah I, i it's been a while since i sat down to read it but my retelling of it is gonna be this which is Steven Spielberg was w- under contract with some other like universal or whatever. So he was not allowed to direct movies for other studios. Right. Kind of like a hangover of the studio contract stuff. So
0: then. That must be very annoying for him.
1: Oh, I'm sure. And so then, because he, <laughs> he, he makes great movies and he was on fire and he, the, the amount of great movies he made in such a condensed time period is nuts. But Yeah, so it wasn't against his contract for him to produce a movie. So what he did was he produced this movie and he got Toby Hooper to come in. And a lot of people have said that Toby Hooper on set was very aloof. He was just off on his own, listening to music over here, doing his own thing. And so Steven Spielberg had to step up and become director. A lot of people have said, like, half the actors say Spielberg directed the movie. Half the actors say Hooper directed the movie. To me it seems like obvious which is a good director knows to use the tools at his availability and if i had steven spielberg as a producer on my movie i would heavily use that tool like if you're a if you're if you're trying to break concrete why use a chisel? Why you could have a thousand fancy chisels. I don't care. I'm using the jackhammer. You know what I mean? Like, why would you not use Steven Spielberg? And I'm sure Steven Spielberg, the way he talks is naturally sort of filled with leadership and he has a directorial way of speaking. So yeah, I'm sure it probably came across that he directed a bunch of this movie, but I don't know. This movie does it. I would not let me put it this way. I would not be surprised if on Final Jeopardy more than one person said Spielberg <laughs> for their answer. Because it does. You watch this movie, you watch Jurassic Park, the same person directed those movies, but it's all in the reaction shot and it's all in the build up to what it means for a character, and then that like amping of of fun playfulness, and then boom, hit you with the actual terror. But it's like a a PG kid friendly terror.
0: So you're you're you basically come down on the side of Toby Hooper did direct it, but he made use of the tool that was Steven Spielberg.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I would assume happened. And then That's a generous interpretation. Yeah, because I've made I, I don't know if you know this, Shira, but I'm a filmmaker and as a filmmaker, who's oh, you're a film filmed, a filmmaker, I can say filmmaking is a team effort. It's a collaborative effort. And yeah, if I had someone who knew how to do this kind of movie, uh, I would listen to them and I'd probably take a lot of that advice.
0: Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, if, if I were making a romantic comedy and Mindy Kaling just showed up on set one day, I, I would just stand back and say, show me everything.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, you can put your little tweaks on it or, you know, he's not there to direct all the time. You know, you've got to, you've still got stuff to do as director. And yeah. Yeah. So I just, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just thankful for the fact that, That anytime someone asks me for a movie, I can safely rely on this one as like a good, solid recommendation.
0: Who hasn't seen Poltergeist? A
1: lot of people.
0: Wow. (laughs) A lot of people. But. All right. Should we get into it?
1: Yes, let's do it.
0: So Steve and Diane Freeling live in Cuesta Verde, a California planned community. Steven is a successful real estate developer, and Diane looks after their three children. 16-year-old Dana, who we really don't know that much about, uh, 8-year-old Robbie, and 5-year-old Carol Ann. And late one night, this is really the start of the movie, Carol Ann inexplicably converses with the family's TV set when it displays the post-broadcast static. Uh, And then the next night, she again fixates on the TV and a ghostly white hand emerges from the screen. But the way that they kind of just plunge us into the plot is kind of brilliant. You hear the national anthem. We cut to... The family all asleep. Dad's asleep in the chair. Classic. The dog,
1: right? The dog makes his rounds.
0: Oh, yes. Adult Ernie yeah. is making his rounds looking for snacks. It's yeah. so cute. Uh, and we follow the dog. And then we go back to the living room where Carol Ann, the creepiest blonde child I've ever seen yeah. since Children of the Damned. Oh, God. You know, there's just something terrifying about little blonde children.
1: I agree. Yeah, she she has a very spooky look about her. So when she says some of the stuff later, it's uh, it's very creepy.
0: Yeah, she's she is a creepy little girl uh, and she does creepy little girl things in front of the TV and so we we get some bizarre events that occur the next day, a glass of milk spontaneously breaks, silverware bends, furniture moves on its own. But, you know, they're more they're more curious than scared of what's going on.
1: Right. And um, also, okay, so like the glue of this movie that is later you need to believe that like like all of this is is worth it because it brings the family closer together. The family dynamic in this movie and the way that they just put a little pin or ribbon at the beginning and end of each scene and the way the family feels lived in. And it it just the like, you know, the, the fact that the dad's the design is pitch
0: perfect. It's like they yeah. made a real family move out of their house right. so they could shoot that movie. Uh, The
1: dad tying his tie, but then he gets it mixed up in the phone cord. Like it just perfectly, again, using shorthand and using um, just like these characters so far are kind of one dimensional. Like you said, we don't really know much about them. We just know. They're a typical suburban family. And then we get a look at the suburban life. We got the guy with the beer. And we got the construction workers. And then we got oh, her like flipping the, them the TV off. And the war. mom is like, oh, uh, yeah, the TV war. But um, the reveal also of the crazy chairs,
0: that remotes could be synced in such a way that they could change somebody else's TV.
1: Well, I don't know if you remember, like there was some stuff for Game Boy. There was a little IR receiver thing for Game Boy or um, some of like the little play tablet things like teenager tablets blackberry type things you could like hack into irs very easily and just like change tv stations at like a mall or something i
0: it's, had no idea
1: yeah um but yeah so all of that happens but then the 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 reveal of the chairs is like an immediate exclamation mark full stop like this is something that needs to be addressed but also it's, it's exciting creepy as fuck because it it happens like it just happens unexpectedly it, like, the escalation again like there's slow escalation in this movie but then there's also big escalation in this movie and it knows how to like w- again this movie's a roller coaster it knows how to weave the tone the escalation the reveals all that stuff. Because her walking away, coming back, walking to the chairs, that are all stacked on the table. Oh, what a moment. And then, yeah, we cut to later and the dad comes home, right?
0: Yeah, I like that. I, and I they did good setup, too, because the dad goes to work and he meets the... Um... His boss man, who's like, ah, we know we have you under contract, but we right. want you. We want you for the big one. We're going to turn <laughs> this land into another community. And they're looking at a cemetery. Right. Uh, and, and at first, Nelson, it's,
1: it's the fourth of July speech from Jaws. He's like the, <laughs> the bad guy who's corporate and money. <laughs>
0: Right, exactly, and yeah. and Craig T. Nelson seems kind of ambivalent. And then he comes home from this, you know, exhausting workday to find that there's a fun poltergeist in the kitchen, and Carol Ann and Diane are taking turns sliding across the floor. Well, Carol
1: Ann is over it at this point. She's oh, like, "What's yeah. for dinner, mommy?" It's like, "Well, order oh, a we're pizza. gonna order pizza. <laughs> <Yeah>. Don't
0: worry." <laughs> There are a lot of product placements in this movie, by the way, like it is just filled with product placements. Dude, you know what?
1: Give it to me. If that's how you got to fund a (laughs) movie like this, give it to me. I don't, half of those places are out of business now or whatever. Like, (laughs) um, yeah, I just, I love the, the, the crudeness of the planning out of how the poltergeist works, but it is like, trial and error (laughs) and sort of uh you you get the feeling that she spent all day doing this and uh it's just super it's super fun it's playful
0: it's very playful but craig t nelson steven has already had enough he's just right you know he's like it's another thing for him to deal with yeah another another thing to to tackle that day but shit really starts to go down when during a severe thunderstorm. So the kids, have, they've been kind of setting it up where the kids have been kind of scared. Robbie doesn't like his admittedly extremely creepy clown doll. I, burn it in a fire. But you know I what? never want to see that clown. <laughs> I don't know if in. I
1: have something specifically like that, but as a child of that age, I had things that were given to me by family members that couldn't necessarily just be thrown away.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, uh, like, like, so grandma gave them the creepy clown doll and now yeah. they have
1: to keep it. It's like, it's, a, it's an heirloom from great grandma or you know what I mean? Like something like that. Oh, I mean, it looked God. too new for that. But yeah, like I can understand that idea of having something creepy in there that you're not happy about.
0: You know, I have a very high tolerance for the horror movie things we've seen and there's there's not a lot that shocks me and I I like to make jokes about a lot of the things we watch but the truth is I am terrified of dolls. Annabelle, the clown doll in this movie, The Night of the Living Dummy, Chucky, I am afraid of dolls. <laughs>
1: yeah i don't blame you they're creepy
0: so creepy especially I don't know, this one yeah i don't know what it is about horror movies about dolls that gets me because they're also some of the corniest horror movies out there right but those are the ones that just push the button that is my actual fear like here's something that i'm actually afraid of But yeah, if I if I got locked in a doll shop or like one of those creepy porcelain doll shops, I might die of terror.
1: Yikes. Please don't do that.
0: But also, I I love no one. No (laughs) one trapped me in your doll shop.
1: Um, I love how the parents are just kind of like hanging out. Smoking. Oh, smoking weed! Yeah. I love
0: that the the couple that smokes together stays together, and, and they're like hanging out and talking, and he's doing the like yeah. duck voice at her, and, and she's then like, then, "I um... love it when you talk dirty." <laughs> And then Carol Ann, when
1: he's trying to talk the kid down, Robbie down from being scared about the thunderstorm, Carol Ann's like, dad, it's for you. And it's the toy phone. And he's like, uh, ask him to take a message. Like he's a good dad. He's so nice. Like, even though he does have a lot on his plate and maybe you get the sense that like, he's not always around to be there with the kids. um, He's a good dad.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, they're good parents, Uh, But shit really hits the fan when there's a severe thunderstorm. The kids, they're already freaked out. They've spent a couple nights in in their parents' beds. But, you know, now they got to tough it out. I like the the whole gimmick of Robbie counting the seconds between each lightning flash and thunder, and it's getting closer. And he looks out at the tree. He's afraid of the tree. He thinks it's going to get him. Guess what? It actually is. And, you know, this tree's not as rapey as the one in Evil Dead, but it's right. pretty close. But it's uh, very hungry. It is very hungry. Tree is going to swallow Robbie. So, that
1: creeped me out as a kid. The tree that more scared... than the clown? Oh, the way that the tree is like... Eating him, yeah. I like being strangled by a killer clown doll is a bad way to go, but eating being eaten alive by a tree is like existentially terrifying for me. It's creepy and gross. And what would happen in there? Would I be digested, or do I like what's going on? Sawdust, creepy, yeah. And it like it had a face almost.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it did. It it had a face. So the tree tree wants a midnight snack. And meanwhile, while everybody is freaking out about Robbie, there is um, I think what I could only describe as a a gigantic vor uh, in the in their bedroom, in the kids hallway closet or or their closet. And it's sucking everything into it. Uh, And it sucks Carol Ann in. And when they go up to go find her, she's gone. Uh, And they can only hear her voice coming well, so from the
1: tv f- first there's the the fake thing of the doll they like oh, right. carolann's just under the blanket nope it's the doll ah that dumb doll but then there's this whole thing about um carolann sleepwalking and the pool not being done and ready and it raining and being full of water and her not being Oh able yeah to they swim go into the pool
0: to look for her there and yeah. they can't find her yeah that was also scary yeah, it was a cool little
1: detail that like I think kind of stands out maybe as being a bit weird, especially if it's your first time watching the movie, but the way they cut back to it at the end of the movie, holy cow, I freaking love it.
0: Oh, it's it's great setup for what is a really fun finale. Yeah. But they finally decide much like the Conjuring family to seek outside help. They find parapsychologist Dr. Martha Lesh, who arrives with two team members. Of course, one team member is a skeptic and one is a believer. Uh, And And it's
1: very Jallo-esque how quickly they go to the experts who are willing to listen and help. Like, cause the the people they go to aren't like, oh, you're just crazy. They're like, no, we want to help you. Let's take a look. Let's see what's going on.
0: Yeah, they're they're very helpful and they're they're down to clown, uh, and they determine that it is a poltergeist. Uh, I yeah, also they, really... they go up
1: into the the bedroom and all this stuff is floating around, and the guy was just talking about capturing three inches over nine hours and it's very funny
0: i i also liked when they open the door to the kid's bedroom and it's just all like wackadoo poltergeist stuff right. and they shut it like oh this is one of the big ones we're yeah. not we're not dealing with a hoax but what's interesting to me is that the skeptic is the one who stays uh, and then the believer's the one who leaves like the skeptic becomes a believer, but then he's just like he's in it.
1: How do you mean both assistants end up staying?
0: No, I thought only one assistant stayed. Um, specifically, Ryan stayed. And then Marty, the guy who tore his own face off in that vision, he left.
1: Oh, I didn't know that we moved past that, yeah, we skipped. that's a lot of stuff. Oh, wait, but... wait wait, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 um yeah.
0: no, i'm I'm skipping ahead. but um, so they they determine that it is a poltergeist. Um, and i I realize I also skipped ahead on on Stephen learning about the fact that Cuesta Verde, was built on a former cemetery and the graves were moved. I thought that that happened earlier when he went to work, but it happens here. Right. And so then Dana and Robbie are sent away. I really like the bit of their dog looking over his shoulder. And then he's like, Peace, I'm out. Yeah. He decides that he does not want to be a part of these shenanigans.
1: No, his um, his extra sensitive dog senses must be going nuts.
0: Exactly. Yeah. He knows he knows he doesn't want to be anywhere near that poltergeist. He he knows they had Tweety's number. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then Dr. Lesh calls in the coolest person in the movie, uh Tangina. Barons, who is a medium played by Zelda Rubenstein. Love her.
1: Great. Um, Uh, An immort like immortalized in cinematic history in this role. Like she is. She is
0: perfect. Is this movie? Like when you think of this movie, you think of her. And I love one of the lines that she has um, when she comes in. She says, y'all mind hanging back? You're jamming my frequencies. Yeah. Um, She's just a cool lady. She's so great. So she's come just at the right time to explain the movie to us, which is that these spirits are here lingering in a different sphere of consciousness. They are not at rest. They might not even know that they're dead. In some cases they are attracted to Carol Ann's life force because it is very strong. Uh, And there's also a darker presence that Tangina refers to as the beast who is trying to restrain Carol Ann and manipulate her life force in order to prevent the other spirits from crossing over to Carol Ann. It's just another child and it talks to her in the way that children understand, but to everyone else, it's a big, bad, scary monster.
1: Yeah. A lot of great stuff. She, she gives exposition in in a great way. It draws us in. There's lots of little tender moments that lead up to this too, where they talk about, you know, the people who moved on and how they oh, don't these know. These are the whisper talky moments that
0: made Doug bored.
1: Oh man. These are such, these are the kinds of moments that make jaws. Another timeless classic is like when they take a moment to do that thing where the dad is, is making faces and stuff at the table and the kid is copying him. Like that's just, that's a very Spielberg esque influence in the sense of like no we're gonna take time out to really like fill in what this house is what it means this connect like the fact that they have to have a strong connection in order to break the spell of evil and it's it's such a it is it's a great like it's very black and white in terms of like no it, good will triumph over evil because evil's just evil and good is is wonderful and great and yeah, it's a light versus the
0: dark side.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's just a lot of great little moments, but Zelda Rubenstein, uh, Oh, also how did you feel about the face ripoff?
0: Oh yes. So they, the thing that gets Marty to leave is they're all hanging out downstairs And then he goes into the kitchen for a snack. Sees that there is a steak, and I don't know. Yeah, maybe, this guy's having
1: free reign in the kitchen. Yeah, he's
0: I, I don't some know liberties. what the inflation rate or <laughs> the supply suppose. situation was back in the eighties, but they must have been swimming in steak. Because I would be pissed if someone went into my he's, fridge. He's chowing down, down on the, the my Cheetos. Steak. He's eating a, a
1: chicken leg. He's he's, he's about cooking to cook up a huge a thing steak. of steak. Like,
0: yeah, but then yeah. the way
1: the snake. Or the steak like rips open from the inside. And that all feels very Toby Hooper. Yeah. And then the way he's like clawing away at his own also face. Also
0: feels more Toby. Like, you know, people are like, oh, Steven Spielberg. And there's all these Steven Spielbergian touches. But the snail steak, the kind of gross out body horror, the later things we get with all the corpses to me feels very in touch with the vibe of Texas Chainsaw. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if these were things that Toby Hooper thought of. And then Steven Spielberg Uh, was like, let's film it this way.
1: Right. A Spielberg movie would have the scary ghost peeling away your face in like a weird stop motion animation that looks kind of slick, but scary. And Indiana Jones is like, I told you not to look, but a Toby Hooper movie would have a guy ripping his own face off
0: right and it's very disturbing i yeah it that that i remember as being one of the most disturbing parts of this movie that really scared me was when he starts just picking at his face and ripping it off
1: just the irreversibility of it that body horror of like oh no you started and now you can't stop and no matter if you stop now it's still like gonna happen and oh it just it creeped me out as a kid it creeps me out now but oh it's, yeah it's
0: a it's a great scene all and, of these
1: great build-ups and moments but zelda rubenstein comes in and is like let's start that chainsaw
0: right right she she goes to that chainsaw chainsaw store <laughs> right um so i like that she also caps off her uh her exposition with now let's go save your daughter yeah
1: it's yeah and this is where um, this is where the movie starts to lean in towards like the hero of the movie is going to be the mom like the best thing for dad to do the best thing for the man of the house to do he almost the never knows what's hero. going on right the best thing for this guy to do is to take a step back and realize that like the mom does have a special bond with these kids. And that specifically is the bond that is going to bring her back. And so it is like, it's a really cool, like not in your face. Like it's a, it's just, it's not even a, it's a gender issue type thing. It's just like, yeah, she's the hero of the movie. She's the mom of the house. The dad is off working and the mom is at home
0: and it's her house.
1: But I mean, this is her, this is her
0: sphere. Right. And you get some good procedure porn with them throwing the baseballs through the closet portal and having it land out on the other side. And Ryan confirms that, Oh, it's my baseball. It has my handwriting. So (laughs) after they test the baseballs, the they're handwriting ready. thing
1: was funny, too, though.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> mean, it's like, like the poltergeist was well, the going poltergeist to... The poltergeist was taking
1: home and going to like, okay, they wrote a one. Okay, and then the other ones are over there writing a one. <laughs> and it's like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was that was funny, too. Yeah. Uh, so now they're ready to to put Diane in. And so they secure her with a rope reminds me a lot of the mist when they attach yeah. that guy to a yeah. rope and yeah i think the mist might have been doing a little yeah. nod back to poltergeist oh in um,
1: great moment of i'm i'm zelda rubenstein i have more experience in this field i should go and she's like no i should go because it's my daughter and then something like scary happens and then she's like you're right you go
0: I like the, uh, Diane, take my hand. Yeah. That's a famous line from the movie, right? Uh, so Diane goes through the portal while there's another side of the rope that, uh, the others are pulling so that they can get her out. Uh, so Diane gets Carol Ann they drop through the ceiling to the living room floor, covered in ectoplasm, which means they're extremely gooey. They're yep. just covered in raspberry jam. Uh, and as they recover, uh, and it's it's a really tender scene when Craig T. Nelson yeah. puts them in the bathtub and he kisses them and he wants them to wake up and they yeah. do. And then the the uh, Whatever the ghost hunters close the door to let them have their family moment. Yeah. Uh and also, we get our famous line.
1: Uh, before that, the other line that is just as famous is a great buildup of her needing to stay away from the light. Because most of us Go associate into the
0: light, stay away from the light. Right. Make up your mind.
1: Most of us associate going into the light as being the final crossover. Whereas here going into the light means staying in that weird zone where they can still kind of keep her. And so that whole idea of like a mom having to shout out this thing that she doesn't know if it's good or bad for her child, but she's being told to say it and she doesn't want to say it, but she has to say it and she has to say it in a convincing way. And she says it in just the way that like a mom would say it in the moment. And she's like, ah, oh, it's such a great, Beautiful moment, and I think, like, yeah, go into the light. Carolan is is a uh, it, it's a very quote. This movie's very quotable, and that's one that has stood the test of time. But the most famous line of the movie is, without a doubt, Zelda Rubenstein. Say it. This house is clean.
0: And it seems like it is. It seems like our ordeal is over. Now, what I want to know is why is this okay in horror movies, but in a romantic comedy, when we do a fake resolution followed by a conflict and then the real resolution, that makes you angry.
1: Okay, here's the difference. If the fake out is really again the engine purring revving to go we're about to have a blast of a good time like actually enjoying the fake out it's like a it's like a bravo or an encore right like you know the the band is going to do it but you still have to go through the motions when the encore is graves coming out of the ground and skeletons <laughs> popping out and the house just going completely haywire and a mom in the muddy water as skeletons pop up and then like the kids almost being sucked back in and the 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 thing turning into like a weird HP Lovecraft tentacle ethereal monster trying to gr- like when that's your encore Yes, hell yes. Like, that's a good encore. But most See, encores are just
0: uh, a little bit more scary. So, you're saying that if the press conference in Notting Hill had included coffins exploding out of the ground, you would have liked it a lot more?
1: I would have lost my goddamn mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man so we 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 get the false resolution and it seems like everything's okay they're getting ready to move out of the house they're going to stay in a holiday in that night steven has to go to work um and then dana's at a date so Diane is just at home with Robbie and Carol Ann and, it, and it's very casual. Steven just tosses out like, oh, just let them nap a little if they get tired before we come home.
1: Right. And so- they are doing the right thing, which is they are actively moving out of the house as quickly as is like logistically possible.
0: Yes. And then while well, the kids are are you know in bed, Diane is getting rid of her super awesome white highlights. Ugh, oh yeah I couldn't believe it. it. You've gotta keep your trauma highlights, girl. Yeah, you're a little <laughs> your little
1: rogue. Yeah, her streak. rogue
0: highlights were yeah. super cool. Why would she want to get rid of those? But she does. Um, so while Diane is um, having a lay down. Uh, The Beast ambushes them and we get this crazy scene where the clown doll tries to strangle Robbie and uh, it's such a suspenseful and scary scene. I hate it and I also love it at the same time because I'm genuinely afraid of that killer clown doll and I knew it was coming. I always know it's coming since I've seen this movie so many times. But each time I'm like, God damn it. It's the clown scene.
1: Yeah, they they tease it in just the right way so that when the clown actually comes alive and starts choking him, it's like genuinely upsetting.
0: Oh, and they change out the clown head because already the clown head is creepy. But then when the clown becomes possessed by the beast, he is a crazy face. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love it.
0: And then Diane gets a whole Fred Astaire treatment when she ends up on the ceiling and she's like getting thrown around and stuff. Uh, She can't get through the door um, to get to the kids. Eventually, she is pulled into the backyard in the pouring rain and she gets basically dragged in by the supernatural force into this flooded swimming pool. And then that's when, as you described, skeletons and corpses and coffins just start popping up and getting all over her. And, you know, that feels very Toby Hooper. Uh, And so she makes it out of the muck. She has her drag me to hell mass grave moment. Yeah, uh, And she rescues the children. And what's funny to me is Craig T. Nelson, Stephen comes home just as shit is going down and he's helpless. Yeah, he doesn't even know what to do. He can't even get into the house.
1: Right. This whole movie has a very subtexty undertone of of the man of the house kind of being emasculated a little
0: bit. Oh, yeah. He almost never knows what's really going on. Yeah, but but. he's going to get his Charlton Heston moment here soon, as I like to call it. Yeah, because (laughs) she rescues the children. And what's great is that Steve is with Teague, his boss, and Teague tries to leave. And that's when Steven grabs him and he says, you left the bodies. You moved the gravestones, but you didn't move the bodies, did you? And it's very Charlton Heston, you damn dirty apes. It's
1: so satisfying.
0: It is very satisfying. Uh and so And then poor
1: Dana shows up and just immediately has another complete mental breakdown. She's right. like, when is this gonna end?
0: Yeah, she's like, what the hell is going on? I like the detail. She's got a hickey. She basically, she came back from what seems like a great date. She's in a good mood up until
1: when she got up to the house. And then her house gets eaten by a poltergeist black hole.
0: Yeah, so the house, as they're fleeing, the house implodes as the neighbors look on but it, there's stuff going on throughout the neighborhood there's you know fire hydrants exploding right. it's and very fires. <laughs>
1: like the ending of demons is just like oh no this is going everywhere
0: oh yeah uh and then the family they make it to the safe haven that is the holiday inn uh and we end the movie with steven pushing the tv outside of the hotel room the end
1: yeah it's a great visual nobody's perfect like it is a great way
0: to end a movie i i agree i like how they did that where it's like mm, not messing with these TVs anymore ghosts can communicate through those
1: yeah uh, I love Like I said, this movie is just a roller coaster. The highs are high, the lows are low. And by lows, low, I mean, scaries are scary like this. This movie just and it does it in an instant where like the staircase scene, I think is a great example. That's a scene that's probably like 10 minutes, but it feels like five because it just it's the, the whole staircase scene is a whole set piece And you go from experiencing the magic of this weird otherworldly thing that like you, you just have to feel like there's, there's no other way to describe it other than you have to feel it. But then you get to make it scary. (laughs) And it's like, but again, it's a fun, scary. It's a, it's like, I just, this movie just makes me feel warm and fuzzy. And it's such a well-made movie. Ugh, I love it.
0: I agree. It's a it's a classic Steven Spielberg-Toby Hooper joint. Yeah. Uh, a meeting of the minds. Uh, anything else you want to say before we talk crushes?
1: Oh, yeah. Let me see if I had anything written down. Um... Oh, no. We covered it. We're all good. I think, I I don't know. I think there's all, there's one choice for crush, right? Like this is the definition. This is probably in the top five definitions of what a movie crush is, where if I had to explain to someone, like not just a crush, not someone who you think is, you know, like a, a real life crush. This is a movie crush. And Zelda Rubinstein embodies her yes. role in such perfection that like it's not that she's what what like inimitable, right? Because everyone has an impression of her. There's so many spin-offs and knockoffs of what her character is that she is imitatable, but she's her, iconic. Her charisma and yeah, like her the spin that she puts on it cannot be duplicated. She charisma, is uniqueness, amazing. nerve,
0: and talent. Yes.
1: Wait, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's
0: no, it's something, no. it's something that they always say in uh RuPaul's drag race. They're looking for yeah. charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent.
1: No, that's a bad thing to say to people. <laughs> that's not a compliment. <laughs> no, 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 no. I can read between the lines there. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I, I don't think she's a cunt, but I do think that uh, No, it's a cunt. She, she does RuPaul, have all of those. Yeah. She does have all of those qualities. I'm yeah, with no, you a hundred percent. Zelda Rubenstein is absolutely my crush for this movie. I mean, Craig T. Nelson's pretty hot. Joe Beth Williams is also looking pretty smokin'. And they do their roles well, but it's it's Zelda Rubenstein that makes the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kitties. Yeah, the,
1: the baby is sometimes I put my PlayStation 4 out and I know I shouldn't because I because Tony will lay on top of it. And right now he's laying on top of it because
0: it's warm.
1: Yeah. But uh, yeah, in between episodes, I know we took like a little five minute break in between episodes. I got in as much Strider playtime as I could. So
0: Ooh. I'm two
1: more rooms into the game and it's still just as good.
0: Oh, you're really into it. So how was it turning this into a rom-com?
1: I had a great time, but also mine's going to get into some weird, touchy, weird, like, it, it's going to get weird. But Oh, um, I
0: like weird.
1: I think under the right circumstances, it could be a good learning opportunity.
0: Sounds interesting to me. I again, I I was on my Amadeus vibe where, you know, right from God to my fingertips, the story was just coming through me. I I just had a fully formed idea for what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah. Um. So I guess I'll go first on this one.
0: Sure. Yeah. Let's get
1: weird. (laughs) I called this movie. I'm pretty proud of the title. French hug.
0: French hug? Does that mean that it's a hug with tongues?
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) If you know what I'm talking about. So here we go. The parents leave to go on vacation, right? Whatever it is, it's the parent. They're the suburban household parents. So the kid, the oldest kid, who's like just about to leave for summer for college or whatever, he is going to throw a big party and of course one of the things that he wants to do at this party is get laid right so this is
0: like a can't hardly wait scenario
1: maybe i've never seen it but i'm thinking maybe i don't know like american pie-esque it was my thought but we'll see so his name is going to be chad and this name was picked out for a very specific reason chad
0: is he chad
1: he is a Chad. Well, he, he, people would often mistake him for a Chad, but of course, as a main character, he's got layers, right? Just like, um, uh, Luke in French kiss, he's got layers. And so, uh, we've also got Robbie and Carol Ann. They're the younger, the much younger siblings who are very, uh, can possible esque. like they're always causing trouble, but they're always there to help you out when you need them and stuff. And so, but they're going to be into ghosts because of course they are. So as Chad is getting ready for his party, weird stuff starts to happen. Of course, right? Like maybe the drinks get mixed up and maybe the blender goes off on its own while he's trying to make a margarita mix or whatever, just weird stuff, but small stuff. But then once Chad is at the party, uh, more stuff starts happening. And then there's a scene where like he gets locked in the bathroom. And then in the mirror, he sees the ghost of some kid who's kind of like his age. Right. But this kid is a much nerdier kid. Ooh. And so this movie is going to be about the poltergeist of the movie is going to be the, the swirling collection of all the incels that died in that house. <laughs> what? So because of some big mistake, right? Like some, some like Because they got
0: friend zoned. Right. Duh. So
1: this movie is going to deal with friend zone and incel stuff, but it's going to deal with it in like a smart way. So I'm going to okay. write the outline to this movie, but I'm going to give it to you as a woman to, to break down. All the stuff that you've got to say on friend zoning and stuff like that, because it's all very silly, but I'm sure you can you can skewer it better. So the kids help their brother Chad out by, like, making it so that he can be in contact with this one specific incel teen
0: the sad virgin yes
1: right sad virgin but while the kids are helping him out they're also getting into hijinks with all the other incel versions who are much less trying to get laid and more about i don't know trying to like maybe they had a D D game that they were finishing it could be stereotypical or not cliche or not doesn't matter Either way, the incel is going to take over Chad because he's jealous of Chad's body, thinking he could get a woman if he had Chad's body. So he possesses Chad's body and starts to hit on a bunch of women at the party, one at a time. But as he does so, he's always creepy. So he ends up turning the women off or turning them away or creeping them out. Mm. And he always gets mad and frustrated and angry for different reasons. right? And so... In between each disastrous flirtation, Chad will gain control of his body back and have to deal with the consequences. One of the consequences is the new girl, who's from France, of course, we'll call her Juliet, right? Juliet is like the new girl. So there's that pressure of like, of course, you know, you only get one chance at a first impression. Well, as she goes around Chad's own party, all of these women are talking about how creepy and gross Chad is. And so his, his chance to make a really good first impression is diminishing every time incel virgin ghost takes over his body to try to get laid. So again, we have the younger brother and sister doing general hijinks. Chad and the new girl do end up getting together. We're just gonna skip to the third act finale of the movie. The incel virgin guy realizes that in order to be the best person you can be, you just have to be yourself. And he learns the value of not being an incel and not having toxic masculinity and not just being like a gross, nice guy TM. Like he just, he learns his lesson He transcends into the afterlife. All of his buddy ghosts do the same thing. It's a big moment. He learns his lesson. He closes the door so that Chad and the French girl Juliet can be in private and share like this moment in an intimate way and not it's so that it's not creepy. And um, then, of course, The next day, as Chad wakes up and has to go, like, get the newspaper because, you know, he's got to, like, clean. Before he cleans the house, he's going to get the newspaper. He has to take out the trash or, you know, whatever. He's got to take out the trash from the party before from the night before. And as he does so, there's a rabbit humping away on another rabbit and that rabbit like gives him a wink and it's the reincarnated (gasps) soul of the virgin incel so at the end of the day he does get what he wants which is just to bang as much as possible fuck like a rabbit good for him yeah so like yeah again it deals with some weird creepy incel stuff but i think that you can do it in a way that is like no, he learns his lesson. Doing that is not right, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think you can make it a cute, a cute movie.
0: I like it. I love it. I I think that there is really a missed opportunity for horror and thriller writers to uh, take on incels. I, I did incels in my uh, Just Friends remake, and right. I had a lot of fun with that as a theme. And I'm so glad you brought it back here.
1: Yeah. Uh, just friends. I was, I was thinking of just friends too, because yeah, that's a movie that also skirts on some gross, creepy type stuff. But at the end of the day, just the chemistry and hijinks of the crew and having Anna Faris in the movie just makes it all very silly. And, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. No,
0: I could see this being a very hijinks heavy movie And it feels to me like it would also be a good one night movie. Like everything that happens in the movie happens within 24 hours.
1: Right. Yeah. Very. um, Yeah. Because we got to have that ticking clock of the parents coming home. But also, yeah, you only get one chance at a first impression. You only get one chance to lose the v-card you know like it's a it's a night of big moments and that's the kind of thing that like in high school it never happens but in high school movies it happens all the time
0: all the time baby uh yeah i i like it one night
1: one night uh french hug (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if we can make that a Tarantino esque conversation in the movie where they talk about what a French hug would exactly entail. Um, so you said you had a good title last time and you did, but you also said you had a good title for this one.
0: Okay, get this. The movie is called Polter Guy.
1: Polter Guy. I like it.
0: Polter Guy. I just, again, I like it. And I can see maybe in this version, Steve Carell is my lead and it's him as a little ghost and you can see through him and maybe he's putting his hands up like, how did I get in this situation? And then the poster just says, polter guy.
1: Yeah, just your average polter guy.
0: (laughs) So in this version of events... Stephen Freeling dies in a freak accident in the Cuesta Verde suburb community and learns upon his death that the community is just filled with ghosts yet to pass on. So he dies right at the beginning of the movie. He, you know, wakes up dead and sees that his planned community that he helped develop is filled with ghosts
1: Beetlejuice meets Edward Scissorhands.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So there's dead people everywhere. And what's worse is they're peeping on everyone because what else are they going to do except watch the living? And maybe at first there's some comedy where he tries to stop them from spying on his wife and kids and he feels all violated. But eventually he accepts that this is the ghost way of life. And you could and- have
1: like a like a Hank Hill group of people who hangs out in the alleyway and like, you know, maybe they set up camp whenever different events start to happen that like, you know, they're like interested and they're just bystanders. And yeah, you could have a lot of great moments where you just cut to them and they, they come up with some jokes, some good one-liners.
0: Oh, totally. The ghost characters are yeah. providing 99% of the hijinks in this movie. Right. And very quickly... Steven ends up with ghost friends, like maybe the same guys that he was trying to stop from peeping on his wife within, you know, a little while they become his ghost best friends and they, they guide him through his, his afterlife. Uh, And so he, he gets used to it. He still misses his family though. He doesn't like watching them grieve, um, but he also wants them to never forget about him. Yeah. And we settle into a routine. So then things start to go wrong when Diane begins to start seeing new guys. Oh, Uh, we, Steven doesn't like that. Uh, And he starts to do everything he can to sabotage any guys that Diane would try to bring home. And most of the time, They barely make it through the door. And so there are many hijinks. Like we can have a whole montage of Steve and his ghost friends just punking and cock blocking any guy who tries to get close to Diane. And maybe they even keep score of how many men they've scared off. But of course, Diane is just not happy And Steve feels guilty for not letting her move on. But he also can't stop himself because he loves her so damn much. Uh, And then I think it would be cute. I, I didn't develop this, but I'd like there to be a B plot of a ghost boy who's in love with Dana. And maybe he keeps trying to get her attention but scares her instead. So you could have a lot of great hysterical Dana moments. Uh, And then eventually Diane suspects that they're being haunted, so she calls in for help. We get Dr. Lesh, who this time comes in with her handsome and age-appropriate son, Tom. And of course, Tom is a skeptic. He doesn't believe in all this ghost stuff, but he loves his mommy and he wants to help her. Uh and maybe Tom and Diane don't hit it off. Tom seems kind of like a nerdy guy, and Steve is he's not worried about Tom. He he just he's like, ah, whatever, this guy is nothing. Uh still, they wanna they they can't help messing with people, they're just having so much fun. Steve and his ghost bros messing with everyone. So they do things like maybe they switch the TV where Tom is watching PBS to football. Things like that, like they're yeah, just yeah. they're just goofing off, uh, and it's enough though to change Tom from a skeptic to a believer, and cause Doctor Lesh to call for backup from Zelda Rubenstein, the medium, and she lays it out: your dead husband and his friends are <laughs> cock blocking you. <laughs> I just I'd like for her to be the one that just lays it out very crude and simply. And yeah. just she explains of- it in a
1: very eloquent manner and they're kind of like like they, they they come to the realization of what she's saying, but then she just says it bluntly of like <laughs> Let me break it down for the audience now. Uh, your husband's cock blocking your dead husband.
0: But this rocks Diane's world because, you know, she still misses Stephen. She yeah. wants him. And so now she's thinking, well, what if this means she doesn't have to move on? What if this means that if Stephen is here, then they can be together? And that's when Stephen realizes that what he's doing is so wrong. Yeah. He can't let the woman he loves hang on to a memory. He has to say goodbye. So he communicates telepathically with the medium that he wants to see her one more time. They set up the gateway rope thing for Diane, except this time Tom is the one that gives the Diane take my hand line. And maybe there's a bit of a spark between them, like yeah. this whole ordeal. He's the only man who's been allowed in this house since Steven right. died. So there's there's something there. Diane goes into the portal and I like to imagine that she and Steven have just a beautiful goodbye scene where, you know, there's tears, there's loves, there's callbacks to their life. They hold each other and then they're just like, holding um, hands and then oh, the hands like, break apart. Uh, like uh, like
1: Your Name, the anime Your Name. Yes. And they finally meet in the twilight and it's just, oh, you're like... Yes, but also, you know, it's tragic because it can't stay it like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, And so Diane has to break apart from him. And Stephen walks into the light. Diane goes through the goo portal. And of course, she seems like she's dead. And Tom freaks out. He pulls her into the bath and gives her the, the kissy kissy wake up. She becomes conscious and asks, did you just kiss me? and he doesn't say anything because he feels awkward but they're both smiling so you get the sense that things are things are are going in a positive direction and then later on we see that Diane is styling her awesome new white hair highlights yeah. not trying to dye them and the doorbell rings it's Tom he asks if he can come in and Diane says sure this house is clean the end ah like it Poltergeist. Guy. Polter guy.
1: oh yeah it seems kind of like uh, you said steve carell but i could see especially a young adam sandler type we like the immature man child who's gotta grow up
0: and move on
1: Maybe, oh, yeah, kind of totally.
0: Thing. He's he's yeah. totally like a, a sitcom dad who thinks it's funny to prank people. And right. then here's his long suffering wife who's basically being haunted by him
1: and right. he won't
0: let her move on. And then he does the right thing. His, yeah. his character development is that he becomes serious.
1: Yeah, I like that.
0: I just really like the title Poltergeist. As soon (laughs) as I thought of Poltergeist, everything else just flew from that. Right. (laughs) All right. I guess that is all for today. This podcast is clean. Now... We'd like to also tell you that we are thankful for you, our listeners, and we would be even more thankful if you review us wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on the social needs at Necromancer Pod. All right, let's get into love bites. What love bite would you like to take a bite of this week?
1: Well... I tried to think of a quick way to tie it over, but I couldn't. I have been in the mood for some um, some martial arts movies, right? But every time I go on to a service like uh, you know Prime or Netflix or something, they've always got the same selection of movies, and I've kind of watched and weeded out the good ones from the bad ones, and so I busted open this old Wu Tang Clan. Blu ray that I have and picked a movie at random. And it's a little movie called uh, One Armed Swordsman Against Nine Killers. It's a Jimmy Wang Yu joint. If you don't know who Jimmy Wang Yu is, he's a guy who is. I, I don't know how to describe him. He's kind of like a Jason Stotham esque, where like he plays the same guy in every movie, which is just. A, a, a kind of Buddhist, zen, martial art badass. Um, all right,
0: all right, I like it.
1: So he's also got this weird thing where he's always playing one-armed people in his movies. So, Does he
0: have one arm?
1: No, he has two. But <laughs> uh, it, the, the most famous one that I recognized him from, I didn't realize it was the same gimmick and all that stuff, was um, he was in a movie called Master of the Flying Guillotine one-armed boxer versus the flying guillotine and that movie I think I is might great. have seen that one it's great this movie is also great it's just one guy going through nine people it's like v for vendetta he's just gotta kill him because of something in the past it's very funny it's very silly and because it's an old classic chop martial arts movie the, there's not really a big uh copyright on it, so if you go into uh YouTube and type in One-Armed Swordsman Against Nine Killers,
0: you'll get the whole movie. And it's only an hour and 20 minutes. That is a good length of time. You know how I feel about my movie length.
1: Yeah. I would say both of these movies that we're thankful for, though, they were both an hour and 50 minutes, but they felt like an hour and a half long movies with like 20 minutes of extra free movie crammed in there
0: yeah they they made good use of the time i definitely definitely agree
1: so yeah jimmy wang yu classic martial artist in this movie called one armed swordsman versus nine killers i'm sure it's under a bunch of different names but yeah it's a great movie that's just full of fun unique fight scenes all throughout the movie very silly very cool You watch it for the personality, right? Like you watch Jason Statham movies because he's Jason Statham. Well, now meet Jimmy Wang Yu. So how about you? What's your love bite?
0: So I think that my love bite actually matches up really well with your remix in that I am going to recommend a comic that I also recommended to you off the podcast. I have been reading this webtoon called Lookism by Park Tijun. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Uh, I also read his other comic viral hit and I think that's really good too. But the plot of Lookism is that this guy, who you'd think of as an incel, although he's really not, but this guy who has been bullied his whole life, he's short, he's kind of fat, and he has no power. He's at the complete bottom of the food chain, and he gets bullied so hard that he begs his mom to let him go to a school that's far away, and he does, and he then wakes up one day and realizes that he is suddenly in the possession of two bodies, his regular body, and then a hot body, like a super Chad Sakamoto type. That's extremely beautiful. And it's not so much that he suddenly, his consciousness gets moved into a different person, But he has two bodies. So when one body is asleep, the other one is awake. And he decides that at his new school, he'll go to school in his new mysteriously acquired hot body, and then he'll work nights at the convenience store as himself. And the way I describe this comic to you and how I'll describe it here is it's like one-punch man Meets Sakamoto, One Punch Man being a normal guy who's really good at fighting, and Sakamoto being about an extremely beautiful and talented guy that everyone who they just can't help but love him. So yeah. this Sakamoto guy, is so great. Yeah, so this guy in Lookism. Because he has been bullied so often, he's also has a great retention of all the fight moves that have ever been used against him. And now that he's in a physically fit body, he can finally defend himself. So everybody thinks that he's some kind of badass when really he's just a shy nerd who doesn't really know how to act. So everybody keeps interpreting the things he does as being badass when he really doesn't even know what he's doing. And then, of course, because this is an action comic, it evolves to be about fighting and fighting different styles. Like there'll be someone who's like, I know judo, or I do jujitsu, or I'm a Muay Thai master. Uh, And, you know, the plot grows from there. But it's a really fun comic. I held off on reading it forever. And weekly, my friend, shout out to Alyssa, would ask me, have you read Lookism yet? And I'd say, Mm no, but I started like three other comics. And then finally, I stopped being an asshole. And I read it. And I loved it. So I would recommend Lookism. And if you like Lookism, read the author's other work, viral hit. Very similar, but slightly different premise. Uh, Really fun. I think you in particular, Brett, would like them.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a very interesting mix and one that has a lot of potential for a lot of fun.
0: (laughs) For sure. All right. How would Big Daddy Mars talk to Carol Ann? Um
1: uh, oh no ask me oh, wait. how Big Daddy Polter Guy would sign off.
0: How would Big Daddy Polter Guy sign off? You moved the tombstones,
1: but you didn't move the <laughs>